I'm Pastor Daryl Curtis, and you're listening to the 23rd part of my sermonic review of the biblical design of gender, in which my point is that blacks have bought into the efforts to reduce our population through birth control and abortion, while the Israelite midwives rejected the commandment of the Pharaoh to kill their own. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com. Our lesson this morning on the 2nd of May is the 23rd part in our sermon series on the biblical design of gender. Our text is the 17th verse of the first chapter of the book of Exodus. And the Bible says this, But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. God bless the reading of his word and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name. Of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear our message for this morning. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now, our takeaway point in this series on the biblical design of gender is that God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life. Now, in our last lesson, we discussed the illicit relationship between Joseph and his master's wife. Joseph's jealous brother sold him to the Midianites, who were slave traders, and the Midianites sold Joseph to Potiphar, the chief of Pharaoh's palace guard, as a slave. And when Potiphar put Joseph to work, God blessed everything to which Joseph put his hand. Potiphar recognized that God's favor was upon Joseph and gave Joseph charge over all his possessions. Once Joseph became a fixture in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife became attracted to Joseph. Genesis chapter 39, verse 6 and 7 records, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. Now Joseph rejected his master's wife's advances. Joseph did not want to betray Potiphar's trust in him, but primarily Joseph refused Potiphar's wife in order to maintain his allegiance with God. Eventually, Potiphar's wife moves past asking Joseph for sex to grabbing him. Genesis 39, 11, and 12 records, But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, 
and none of the men of the house were was inside, that Potiphar's wife caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But Joseph left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so Potiphar's wife then decided to get rid of Joseph for rejecting her. Genesis 39, 16 through 18 and 20 records, So Potiphar's wife kept Joseph's garment with her till his master came home. Then she spoke to Potiphar with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought into us came in to me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And Joseph was there in the prison. And Joseph met the Pharaoh's butler as a fellow inmate in prison. Genesis 49 through 14 records, Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, And I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, according to the former manner, when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness to me, make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. Now events occurred just as Joseph prophesied, but the, but the butler forgot about Joseph until Pharaoh had a disturbing dream. The Pharaoh's counselors could not interpret his dream, but when the Pharaoh mentioned the dream to his butler, the butler remembered Joseph and recommended that the Pharaoh asked Joseph to interpret his dream. The Pharaoh called Joseph from the prison and told Joseph his dream. And Joseph told the Pharaoh in Genesis chapter 41, verse 29 through 36, Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land in Egypt in the seven plentiful years, and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land during the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. Now, since Joseph was able to interpret the dream, the Pharaoh decided to make Joseph the administrator of Egypt 
And the Lord gave Joseph the wisdom and foresight to complete the job. Joseph oversaw the activities of Egypt so skillfully during the plentiful years that during the seven years of famine, Joseph was able to purchase the whole of Egypt for the Pharaoh as Joseph controlled the only food supply that was available for sale because of his stockpiling of food during the seven good years. And the famine in Egypt stretched to Canaan. And when Joseph's family found themselves starving as well, they heard that there was food in Egypt. Joseph's brothers went down to Egypt to buy food, and Joseph, who by this time was in charge of Egypt, told his brothers to bring their father Israel, which is also Jacob, and the whole family to Egypt so that he could provide for them. Joseph, with the Pharaoh's blessing, settled his family in the Egyptian area known as Goshen. Now, Egypt proved fruitful for Israel and his sons, but even after their deaths, for the next 300 years or so, the children of Israel grew and prospered in Egypt. But Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 through 11 tells us, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than are we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happens in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over the Israelites to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses. Now the new Pharaoh enslaved the children of Israel and set taskmasters over them because he did not know his history. And history is one of the most important subjects that leaders can learn. There was a young wife that became a new mother. For several months, she focused on taking care of her child. Her husband felt neglected by her preoccupation with the child, so he proposed to her that they go on a weekend trip to get reacquainted with one another while his mother babysat. I'm not sure that I trust your mother to babysit, the young wife said to her husband. I'm not sure that she will take care of our child in the way that I would. After all, she does things a lot differently than I do them. I'm not sure that she would take my rules and instructions seriously. You know, you're probably right, said the husband. She probably wouldn't. But maybe she does things differently because she has more experience than you. She has a really good history of taking care of children, and she comes with really good references. Oh, said the young wife, who would vouch for your mother? Think about it for a minute, smiled the husband. Is somebody you know really well. The young wife furrowed her brow, brow as she thought. Who do I know that knows your mother well enough to vouch for her, she responded. It's somebody you know really well, repeated the young husband as he laughed. I can't believe you don't remember. Think for a moment. Who do you know that knows my mother? The young wife thought, then shook her head. It's not coming to me. I don't know anybody that I can think of that knows your mother well. Stop laughing at me and tell me who it is. The young husband took his young wife in his arms and kissed her forehead. Dear, he replied, it's me. 
My mother raised me well enough that you decided to marry me. I'll vouch for her to take care of our child for a weekend. And to be honest, she knows a lot more about raising children than you do. She raised a son to maturity. You've only been a mother for five months. But the arrogance of youth is such that young adults forget that while they have ideas and opinions, older adults have experience, wisdom, and knowledge. I can remember my dad telling me when I was a kid, son, the things you're doing today, I did them 40 years ago. Most parents have been where their children are going and can give their children a pretty good idea of that which will happen when the child makes his or her next move. Young people, your opinions and ideas are no match for the experience and wisdom of a parent that has already been where you are. So Exodus 1-8 tells us that a new Pharaoh arose that did not know Joseph. The new young Pharaoh did not know his history and did not realize that Egypt's prosperity was a vicarious function of God's blessings to the Israelites. The new young Pharaoh had the mistaken idea that his planning would ensure his success. And in his ignorance, he enslaved the Israelites who were the source of his blessings in an attempt to reduce their numbers. But his plan did not work. Exodus chapter 1 verse 12 tells us, But the more the Egyptians afflicted the Israelites, the more the Israelites multiplied and grew. And the Egyptians were in dread of the children of Israel. So the harder the Pharaoh commanded the Israelites to work, the more of them there appeared to be. And the Pharaoh being neither an historian nor a believer in God, never caught on. The Pharaoh reminds me of the Pharisees that persecuted the early church. When Peter and the apostles refused to stop preaching the gospel at the command of the Pharisees, the Pharisees became enraged. But unlike the Pharaoh's counselors, there was a wise counselor among the Pharisees. Acts chapter 5, verse 33 to 39 tells us, when the Pharisees heard Peter and the apostles refusing to stop preach the gospel, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people, and commanded, the apostles, commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And Gamaliel said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theudius rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Now the Pharaoh needed a counselor to tell him to stop persecuting the Israelites, lest he find himself on the wrong side of a confrontation with God. But the Pharaoh did not have a godly counselor. 
So the Pharaoh escalated the persecution of Israel, as Exodus chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 records. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shiprah and the other one was Puah. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. So when the Pharaoh determined that hard work would not kill the Israelites, he realized that he could not decrease the population of the Israelites once they grew to maturity. The Pharaoh then changed his strategy and decided to kill the Israelites more directly. Now the Pharaoh did not have the technology to kill children in the womb as we do, so he commanded the midwives that attended the, that attended the Hebrew women to perform partial birth abortions in order to control the number of Hebrews born. Now we have a similar situation in our country. The founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, derived her philosophy, philosophy from the eugenicists whose ideology prevailed in the early 20th century. Eugenicists strongly espoused racial, racial supremacy and purity, particularly of the Aryan race. Eugenicists hoped to purify the bloodlines by encouraging the fit to reproduce and the unfit to restrict their reproduction. They sought to contain the inferior races through segregation, sterilization, birth control, and abortion. In 1929, Sanger created the American Birth Control League and chose Harlem, New York as a test location for her birth control clinic. Blacks in Harlem comprised 12% of New York City's population, but accounted for 18.4% of New York City's unemployment. Blacks in Harlem had an infant mortality rate of 101 per, per 1,000 1, births compared to 65, excuse me, 56 rather, among whites. Blacks in Harlem had a death rate from tuberculosis, 237 per 100,000, that was highest in all of New York City. And in a letter to W.E.B. Du Bois, the founder of the NAACP, Sanger wrote that the birth control clinic was established for the benefit of the colored people. Sanger suggested to black leaders that the answer to poverty and degradation lay in reducing the number of blacks born in the negative situations. She convinced black civic groups in Harlem of the benefits of birth control under the cloak of better, better health, for example, reduction of maternal and infant death, child spacing, and family planning. So with their cooperation, and the endorsement of the New Amsterdam News, a prominent black newspaper, Sanger established the Harlem branch of the Birth Control Clinic Research Bureau. The ABCL told the black community that birth control was the answer to their predicament. Sanger shrewdly used the influence of prominent blacks to reach the masses with the message. She invited Du Bois and, and a host of Harlem's leading blacks including physicians, social workers, ministers, and journalists, to form an advisory council to help direct the clinic so that our work in birth control will be a constructive force in the community, she said. She knew the importance of having black professionals on the advisory board and in the clinic. She knew blacks would instinctively suspect whites of wanting to decrease their numbers. 
She later used this knowledge to implement the Negro Project. It was in 1939 that the Negro Project, Sanger's larger vision for dealing with the reproductive practices of black Americans, emerged. In 1939, Dr. Clarence J. Gamble, president of Procter & Gamble, was selected to become the BCFA Regional Director for the South. Gamble drew up a memorandum in November 39 entitled Suggestions for the Negro Project, acknowledging that black leaders might regard birth control as an extermination plot. He suggested that black leaders be placed in positions where it would appear that they were in charge. And it is evident from the rest of the memo that Gamble conceived the project almost as a traveling roadshow. A charismatic black minister was to start a revival with contributions to come from other local cooperating ministers. A colored nurse would follow, supported by a subsidized colored doctor. Gamble even suggested that music might be a useful lure to bring the prospects to a meeting. Now, Sanger answered Gamble on December uh, December 10, 1939, agreeing with the assessment. She wrote, We do not want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population, and the minister is the man who can straighten that idea out if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. And the BCFA's deception worked. Interestingly, black ministers and other black leaders signed on to the concept of birth control in large numbers. The list of black leaders who made up the BCFA's National Advisory Council reads like a who's who among black Americans. To name a few, Claude A. Bennett, director of the Associated Negro Press in Chicago, Michael J. Bent, M.D., of the Meharry Medical School in Nashville, Tennessee, Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune, founder of Bethune-Cookman College in Daytona Beach, Florida, Dr. Dorothy Bolding Farabee, president of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, Charles S. Johnson, the president of Fisk University in Nashville, Tennessee, Eugene Kinkle Jones, executive secretary of the National Urban League of New York City, Reverend Adam Clayton Powell, Jr., pastor of Abyssinian Baptist Church in New York City, Bishop David H. Sims, the president of the African Methodist Episcopal Church in Philadelphia, and Arthur Springarn, president of the NAACP. And by 1949, Sanger had hoodwinked black America's best and brightest into believing birth control's life-saving benefits. In a monumental feat, she bewitched virtually an entire network of black social, professional, and academic organizations into endorsing Planned Parenthood's eugenic program. However, the Negro Project never produced a planned reduction in birth rates in the black community. Although BCFA, which later became Planned Parenthood, dispensed thousands of contraceptives, the black birth rate continued rising because contraceptives are notoriously effective, ineffective rather, in reducing birth rates. However, in 1972, with the Roe versus Wade Supreme Court decision, Planned Parenthood and the Negro Project changed their focus from birth control to abortion. And from 1973 to 2004, nearly 30% of the black population has been erased through abortion. By comparison, during this period, the mortality statistics from the Centers for Disease Control tell us 
that the top five causes of death among blacks, two thousand two million rather, two million two hundred and twenty six thousand seven hundred and eighty nine blacks have died from heart disease, one million six hundred and thirty eight thousand three hundred and fifty from cancer, three hundred and seventy thousand seven hundred and twenty three from accidents, three hundred and six thousand three hundred and thirteen from violent crime, and two hundred and three thousand six hundred and ninety five from AIDS. So during this period from 1973 to 2004, a total of 4,785,870 blacks have died from the five leading causes of death. The number of black children that have been aborted in that same period is approximately 13 million. That is to say that 2.7 children have been aborted for every person that has died from the five leading causes of death in the African-American community in that period. Out of the average of 44,400 abortions occurring daily in the United States of America, an estimated 1,300 are African-American children, or 32% of abortions yearly, although blacks make up only 13% of the American population. African-American women are three times as likely to have had an abortion than other women. The Pharaoh has been much more effective here in the black community than was the Pharaoh in Egypt because in our community, we cooperate with the Pharaoh. And in Egypt, the Israelites did not. Exodus chapter 1 verse 17 tells us, but the Israelite midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them but save the male children alive. American blacks have bought into the efforts to reduce the pop black population through birth control and abortion, while in Egypt, the Israelite midwives rejected the commandment of the Pharaoh to kill their own. And the Pharaoh was not pleased with the results of his attempt at Genesis, genocide rather, as Exodus one eighteen records, so the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? But even as the apostles said to the Pharisees in our earlier example, we ought to obey God rather than men, the midwives obeyed God rather than the Pharaoh and received their due reward. Exodus chapter 1 verse 19 through 21 records, And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dwelt well with, dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that God provided households for them. Now, every child conceived is a gift, from God. The 127th Psalm, verse 3 through 5, tells us Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And like the young wife, that couldn't remember that her husband was the one who could vouch for her mother-in-law, we sometimes forget that God is the one who can vouch for our children. 
No woman can get pregnant without the personal intervention of God. In previous lessons, we studied that God withheld conception from Sarah and from Rachel until he decided that he wanted them to, wanted them to conceive. And here the psalm tells us that every child born into the world is a reward from God. But our problem is that we do not share God's perspective. All of the reasons that Margaret Sanger gave that our, and that our leaders bought into for killing our children have to do with that which we think will make our lives better and easier. But ultimately, we do not have the wisdom to make life and death decisions that we have arrogantly made 13 million times since 1973 because God is actually in charge, not us. When we decide to kill our children, when we decide that to kill our children will bring us the best outcome, we fail to take the intervention of God into account. Even if you have weighed every eventuality of which you can think and have decided that a child is just not in your best interest, the fact that children are a heritage from the Lord means that when you decide to kill your child, you are deciding to kill your eternal heritage. And God tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 17, you shall not murder. And the B portion of 1 John chapter 3, verse 15 tells us, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So in Mark 8, 36, Jesus asked those of us that decide to murder our children because of a perceived financial benefit, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And there is a clear biblical precedent for bringing even children that appear to be conceived in negative circumstances into the world. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 tells us, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So Mary was pregnant out of wedlock, although she was engaged to be married to Joseph. Now, Joseph had not been intimate with Mary, so he knew that he was not the father of the child. And Matthew chapter 1, verse 19 tells us, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Now, what does a public example mean in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 1? Deuteronomy 2, 13 and 22, rather, 13 and 14 and 21, 20 and 21 tells us, if a man takes a wife and goes into her and detests her and charges her with shameful conduct and brings a bad name on her and says, I took this woman and when I came to her, I found she was not a virgin. And if the thing is true and the evidences of virginity are not found for the young woman, then they shall bring the young woman out to the door of her father's house and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones because she has done a disgraceful thing in Israel to play the harlot in her father's house. So you shall put away the evil from among you. So Joseph would have been within his rights to have Mary publicly stoned. But Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 through 25 tells us, 
But while Joseph thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. The Savior of the world came to earth via an unplanned, out-of-wedlock pregnancy. Joseph could have legally had the unborn Jesus killed, but the Holy Spirit instructed Joseph rather to legitimize Jesus by marrying his mother. But this Jesus, who was conceived out of wedlock, came to a bad end. Luke chapter 23, verse 32 and 33 tells us, there were also two others, criminals, led with Jesus to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, There they crucified Jesus and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. The Pharisees plotted against Jesus and were ultimately successful. They were able to convince the Roman procurator to execute Jesus as a criminal, although he could find no fault in him. And after being crucified and hanging on the old rugged cross from the sixth to the ninth hour, Jesus hung his head in the locks on his shoulder, and he died. The Pharisees' plan ultimately worked. Jesus died, and then Jesus was buried in Joseph's new tomb. He stayed in that grave all night Friday night, all day Saturday, and all night Saturday night. But early on Sunday morning, the plan of man was thwarted, And the plan of God came to pass. The Pharisees planned Jesus' death and they successfully executed their plan, but they failed to anticipate the plan of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 through 25 tells us, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since... In the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message priest to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And the wisdom of God is found in John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35, which tells us a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. 
that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So let us love one another, especially those that are the weakest, smallest, and most helpless among us, the ones that have yet to be born. And that is our message for today. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this message. We thank you for the history that you have given us this morning. And we ask you, Lord, to help us to learn from that history. Let us nurture and cherish the fruit of the womb and all of its effects. If we find ourselves in a negative circumstance, let us consider adoption rather than abortion. Let us not put children to death, but let us give them life and then turn them over to another family that can take care of them. But we, ask, but we ask you, Lord, that you would make us like the Israelites in Egypt. Let us be fruitful and multiply that we might subdue the earth and fill it and have dominion over all things as you have commanded us to have. And now, Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today. And we ask you that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back once again to the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com.